Open your cerebral cortex and shift your lobes into upper beta phase because you are going to have Bitcoin knowledge transmitted directly into your vestibulocochlear. Your host at Bitcoin Knowledge is Trace Mayer, an early Bitcoin advocate since it cost a quarter, but this is not intended to be investment advice. A doctor of jurisprudence, but this is definitely not legal advice. And an investor in core cryptocurrency infrastructure, including Armory, BitPay, Kraken, and Mitagio, but this is not a recommendation of those services. Here, you get fed via direct mind download with pure and free Bitcoin knowledge. You're enforcing network consensus, and when you're holding your own private keys, and those are your two prongs, that's how you exert your monetary sovereignty. And then it, it doesn't matter what other people do. Uh, they're not in consensus with you. So, like, the issue is, who do you want to be in consensus with? And, I mean, how, how do you redeploy a network that's already out there on the size and scale uh, that Bitcoin is? I mean, they can... They can decide to run different consensus rules, but that doesn't mean that they're going to be in consensus with the vast majority of people using Bitcoin. PGP said they could, um, you know, if the hashing power moves over to the the Segwit two X one, you know, the current one may be just un, you know, un, not able to, you know, make the like the difficulty adjustment, and you know, it'll all slow down and all that kind of shit. I mean. What do you think? Well, I mean, why would that even be an issue? It, the the whole the whole assumption that the hashing power is going to move over there is based on what economic theory? It's based on a labor theory of value, and like it's either subjective value theory or it's labor theory of value. And we already know from vast experience, not just in Bitcoin, but just throughout economic history, that the labor theory of value is fallacious. So like i don't i don't really understand like why anybody would be scared of the hashing power moving over there i guess it's the agreement the new york agreement and the signers that are on board um being a lot of the miners right and that's that's the that's the concern right with in regards to that well yeah but it why is it a concern like when you look at when you look at the seven network effects that I've outlined with Bitcoin, you have speculation, merchants, consumers, miners, developers, financialization, world settlement, currency. The closer you are to to the start of that, the closer you are to speculation, the more interior you are, the more primordial you are in terms of your importance or your rank on the totem pole. Speculators is where it all starts. People who are holding Bitcoin, and they're superior to consumers. How many consumers does it take to move the price up or down compared to a holder? Like somebody who's holding 5,000 Bitcoin, for example, how many people buying and selling coffee does it take in order to equal this, the same amount of economic gravity that that one holder has? So speculation, the digital gold use case, that, you know, that's, what, that's what is really the foundation for a lot of for the price in general. Then we start moving out from that towards consumers. Well, consumers are still a, a layer more primordial than miners in terms of in terms of importance. So miners, like why are they important? They're important because they add the security. But the only reason they add the security 
integrity, or in other words, the only reason their work has any value is because consumers and merchants and holders or speculators uh, value that work. You know, just because you dig a hole in the middle of North Dakota doesn't mean that that hole has any value whatsoever. You have to dig a hole uh, where somebody's, you know, where a consumer or, or, or an investor is willing to pay t- to have that hole dug. Uh, otherwise, you're just misallocating capital and you're destroying wealth. Right. And uh, so you're, you're going by the theory that the users at the end of the day is what matters. Is that correct? I mean, I agree with you, Trace. I mean, who gives oh. a fuck if you who gives a fuck if you mine so, the shit out of some coin and nobody's using it? Well, that, that that's what I'm saying is like you're just misallocating capital if you're mining something uh, unless people are willing to pay for it. So, so we when we're when we're talking about users, it's important to distinguish the two different classes. There's speculators, which are holding Bitcoin. And that's speculative demand. And then there's transactional demand. And that's people who are using Bitcoin solely to transfer value over the communications channel. Now, the price elasticity of demand for the transactional demand component of Bitcoin is pretty much irrelevant. It doesn't matter whether Bitcoin's five cents or $500 or $50,000. You can perform that, that, that transfer value equally well. Uh, it, but, you know, we've got transaction fees, but now with like Lightning Network and SegWit being activated, uh, we'll be able to bring down some of those prices. But why the, why the consumers or the merchants are superior to the miners in regards to that is that they have substitute goods that they can use instead of Bitcoin if the miners are charging too much for that block space for their particular use case. And but when we're talking about transactional demand, that's that's where uh-oh, now somebody's someone's calling him. Yeah, sorry about that. Someone's calling and then it's ringing on my computer. Go ahead and answer the phone. I'm not going to answer it, of course. But uh yeah, so if, it, if it's ringing on your computer, you can push the power button on your your Apple iPhone, and it'll stop ringing on the computer. Yeah, the iPhone squashed the room because I don't even like to talk on the phone. But, anyways, the so we 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 just talked about transactional demand. Now supply is fixed and known in advance. So really, the only other part of the equation that changes is the speculative demand, which is like a dog on LSD. You know, it just runs up and down like all over the place based on human emotions. But, uh, but so like this idea that we're going to have, we're going to have institutions or businesses that have allocated millions, tens and hundreds of millions of dollars to customized hardware, uh, that they're going to go like dig holes in the middle of North Dakota that nobody's willing to pay them to do, uh, with an with an instant opportunity cost that's easily switchable back to the main Bitcoin uh, blockchain, uh, I just I don't really see that happening. Or if it does happen, I don't know that it's going to last very long because uh, that's a huge opportunity cost. How how why are people mining BCH out of curiosity? Well, that BCH is a sorry to interrupt. Sorry. Um, yeah, that, I mean difficulty adjustment. Yeah, I mean, but it's still B- often more. It's still often less profitable to mine BCH than it is BTC, and yet it retains hash value or hash power. Nick does not. 
Look at the hash uh, power. Then right, right. I mean, right now there is hash power on the BCH chain, even though it is more there's popular hash than my power. BTC. There's hash power, but there's not a lot. And when that thing does a backward difficulty adjustment, that hash power goes away for the most part. I mean, e even when it has a difficulty adjustment which makes BTC more profitable to mine, it still retains some level of hash power, even quite a bit, like in the pet right. It loses a lot, if, if not most. So it loses like 90% of the hash power, and then it comes point. back when it becomes more profitable to mine after the stupid backward difficulty adjustment. I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah, so so let me let me address that. So, so what happens with BCH is you got the 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 emergency difficulty adjustment, which decreases the uh, decreases the hash power that's required in order to create a block. Now, what's interesting about the effects of this is that it it incentivizes the miners to move from the main Bitcoin chain over to the BCH chain. Okay. Now, why? And somehow people think that this hurts like the Bitcoin chain. Actually, if you think about it, what it does is it slows down the inflation rate of the Bitcoin chain, right? Because block rewards now happen in a longer period. And it also increases the transaction fees, uh, which is which is also good for holders of Bitcoin, for speculators, because what that does is it effectively destroys UTXOs that are no longer worth what it costs to send them. On the other side, when you move all that hash power over to BCH with the way that the EDA works, what it does is it pulls production of Bitcoin from the future into the present. And from what I, at least last time I was looking at the numbers, if I crunched them correctly, what happens is you have like eight, you're supposed to produce 18,000 Bitcoins. And in reality, it produced something like 25,000 Bitcoins. And so that's, that additional work, uh, hold on, I think somebody's downstairs i gotta go check that real quick i'm enjoying this fresh perspective uh, I, i'm interested when he comes back to hear why he puts merchants at, at such a high level because i mean the conversation we were having earlier put merchant adoption is useless and meaningless so i'd be interested to hear why merchant adoption to him is such a, a, an important aspect Okay, sorry about that. I'm back. Um, someone was at the door. So, so what it does, you have this 25,000 BCH that's produced when really only 18,000 supposed to be produced. So that's increased the the money supply, right? That's a form of inflation. And effectively, who's that paid for by? It's paid for by everybody who's holding BCH tokens. Now, the reason you would want to increase the rate of speed at which the tokens are emitted is if there's increased usage of Bitcoin and people are willing to pay more. Well, in BCH's case, that's actually not the case. Why? Because look at how many transactions are actually done on the network. The blocks are nowhere close to full. And what would happen is, like with Bitcoin, you see the transaction fees per block actually increase, and that incentivizes more mining power to go online, which causes that, that, that time between blocks to, to be decreased, which increases the inflation rate. But is it really a cost that both speculators and the users are willing to pay? If it's not, then effectively what it is, is it's a wealth transfer from the holders to the miners. And so in BCH's case, because the blocks aren't full, 
and there's not really any bid happening for the block space, what's happening is they're effectively uh, inflating 7,000 Bitcoins worth, BCH's worth of value during each of these adjustment periods uh, for their benefit to the detriment of all the holders of BCH. And what's also kind of ironic about this, it's mainly coming from, you know, people who have their BCHs locked up on something like Coinbase where they're not even able to trade even if they wanted to. Hey, Trace, this is Phil Potter. How you doing? Hey, Phil. Pretty good. How you doing? Good, good. Um, I think that's a very astute point. Uh, the, the, the problem here is that there's so many people that are long BCH and can't sell even if they wanted to. Whether you're on Bitstamp or Coinbase or Zappo or wherever, um, and that's that, that's definitely a problem, um, which is kind of artificially um, a sort of make, making the supply artificially low of BCH right now. And you're you're exactly right. This the EDA creates a situation where this the oscillations over time are just going to produce a bring forward the inflation. And which is really effectively a tax on on the on the uh, hodlers, and in this case we have a lot of you know hodlers who perhaps don't want to be hodlers. Well, I, you know we do have a lot of hodlers that don't want to be hodlers. But what I what I think people really should do is they should get a class action attorney and they should start suing all of these companies that are being unjustly enriched by having access to the BCHs that they're custodians of, but haven't actually reduced. Uh, like given to the customers, yeah, uh, to I, yeah, the to the people that they're holding. I would say in theory that sounds right. I mean, by I if, in the case of Coinbase, I mean they said, look, we're going to give it to you. We just you have to wait till January because in, in their case, it's a very big uh, operational headache. And I know it's the same thing with Zappo because they have the all these very complex uh, security mechanisms surrounding all the keychains and this that and the other to actually do to actually release or emit the bch to their customers is a big operational nightmare um well well that is the moral hazard that the my that the miners who've engaged in this fork have shifted onto the exchanges but it's also agreed. the business the business that the the exchanges are in and we did it at kraken and have any problem getting it well done. and that's, so they they that's true but i mean kraken took a very big risk Doing it the way they did, uh, especially having people who are margin long, margin shorts, so could have could have been pretty ugly. Well, I mean, but we we still held all the keys at, at Kraken, right? So, but but at the end of the day, what we're talking about is you know something that that multiple companies like whether it's Kraken or I, yeah, I beat. Bitfinex supported BCH, from what I understand. Yeah. Uh, you know, mul- multiple companies in the industry have been able to implement and apply this uh, without losses uh, very quickly in a matter of you know a few days or even a week or whatever. And yet, big holders, you know, other companies are not able to get this done in like three months. What what's, what the damages are that you have this missed opportunity? cost. And so wanted to sell at $600. And let's say that the price is $200 in January, and you're now able to sell, but for Coinbase not, you know, uh, rolling I, out I, the service I, I to do it, I, I, you I have $400 that, of damages. I agree. Look, people are going, but the point the point is, is that these services are going to emit the BCH before any suit could ever be pulled together or any class, any enterprising a class action attorney can gather a reasonable class, you know. So 
it's I, 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 whereas I, I agree with you it, conceptually and in theory, I think in practice, it's just, you know, people are going to get it. It's just delayed and, um, and, and various companies can hide behind, you know, operational concerns uh, that, that, that created the delays. I mean, this was foisted upon, on exchanges. I mean, you know, I, we, we had a, basically a week to prepare. I mean, yes, I guess we kind of heard about it, but nobody really took it seriously. And then, well, it became kind of a serious thing and it was going to happen. And customers were pinging us saying, I want my BCH. And I'm like, well, fuck, I guess we got to do something about it. And, and well, that, I think that, that, that I, was us, and that was that was basically every other exchange. And yeah, but it it also highlights you know who's got their technical competence together and who doesn't. I mean, look at like Bittrex. Bittrex did a great job with it too. You know, in my opinion, they don't have margin uh, on that. So, so. well, I mean, like, <laughs> margin still... margin makes it very complicated. I mean, it really does, Trace. I mean, I, I don't want to get into it now, but that. The the peer to peer margin lending markets made it complicated for Poloniex, made it complicated for us. Um, Kraken doesn't have a peer to peer market; it's just Kraken lending. So uh, it was it was it's it's there's a lot of considerations. It was complicated. We tried a novel approach to try to make sure that we addressed the concerns as best we could, given basically seven days to kind of craft a solution. Um, It's 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 not a straightforward. It wasn't as straightforward as it seems. Yeah, well, and I I agree with that, but it's not the type of thing that should be taking like three or four months. And if it does take that long, then people have missed out or potentially missed out on being able to, you know, significant profits. And you know, that's missed opportunity costs. That's a form of damages. Which, when you're dealing with seven hundred fifty thousand BCHs, you know, all of a sudden that can become you know tens or hundreds of millions of dollars worth of damages. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I just, I'm just not sure how successful anybody, anybody's going to be on um, pulling together a class action suit, unless, of course, BCH basically goes to zero before January. You know, like people in Coinbase could complain, but I think it, it would be hard to assess specific damages. Um, but nonetheless, I yeah, I wanted to back up to another p- really interesting point. I think you made, Trace, was that uh, the point about high um, high fees make uh, certain uh, certain parts of the UTXO set unspendable, and and that that effectively that is kind of effectively decreasing the overall supply. And I thought that was a very interesting point. I hadn't really thought about that before. Is there any analysis about that out there that you know? Oh yeah, about? there's yeah. I mean, I've I've seen quite a bit of analysis. Anybody can look at the UTXO set, and basically what you do is you would look at the UTXO set and you'd figure out how many bits it would take in terms of transaction size, and then you'd look at the current cost of the fees in order to get that transaction done and you can and from that you can you can actually see like based on where fees are at how much of the utxo set uh is is basically worthless or worth less than zero meaning that you can't move it uh for less than what the transaction fee cost would be right Uh, and and so i mean i totally understand like why people would be upset about transaction fees going up because it destroys part of the money supply and it's part of their money supply right (laughs) Yeah, at the same time, there's that balancing act between, yeah, higher fees, you know, definitely impedes usability of Bitcoin for a certain class of, of, of applications. But counteracting that, and I had never really thought about it, counteracting that is that the, 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 the monetary supply is shrinking uh, because, you know, the, the various uh, certain amounts of dust, whatever, um, or your definition of dust 
is constantly changing based upon what the effective uh, fees on the network are. I just have never seen any graphs or any analysis on this that kind of kind of like shows well based upon these types of fees and this average transaction size. You know, here's a graph of the total supply. Um, you know, based upon this fee assumption, that fee assumption, X, Y, and Z. I, I think that would be interesting to see. I, I've never seen it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, well, and we should we should also find that who does it harm and who does it benefit? Well, it harms the people who are using it much more for the transactional demand cases, the the merchants and the consumers. But it actually accrues to the benefit of the hodlers, right? Agreed. And yeah. so and so that that's another example of where the closer you are, you know, in terms of these seven network effects, the closer you are to the very center of that first network effect, the the more benefit you get overall from from the Bitcoin system. I want to go back because you say, oh, they should launch a class action lawsuit. And I completely disagree with you. I think it would be completely worthless because at the end of the day, if you talk about an exchange like Coinbase, you know, they listed Bitcoin and they have Bitcoin. And it's not up to them to go about supporting every single fork. I mean, what if Dash does a fork and there's Dash Classic? I mean, is somebody going to take a class action lawsuit against, against Finex? I mean, when does it end? And on top of this, they did say, look, we're not offering it. If you want it, withdraw. So it's not like users didn't have a choice either. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very, I, I totally agree, it's a difficult philosophical and moral uh, issue because effectively the miners are able to engage in activity that has moral hazard and shifts the costs onto the exchanges. So... I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's, I, th- I thought it was fucking bullshit that this was being pushed on us, and that we had very little time to prepare. And meanwhile, we're busy trying to roll out other things to increase the support, increase the reliability of the exchange and the throughput, and try to support our existing customers for our existing business. And here we're being this kind of like this fork was being foisted upon us now, and because BCH is at least. I'd be pr- pretty um, successful by by most any standard at this point. I mean, uh, everybody's you know happy with the free money they they've got. Um, it's going to just engender further forks. I mean, and and the reality is is that it's actually a great way to distribute a coin. Uh, like uh, Omi's Go, for example, is uh, doing a an airdrop. Uh, for anybody uh, that had Ethereum as of like what June 26th or whatever it was, and like, but no, oh, that's wonderful, great, great way to uh, um, market your token. But it's a huge pain in the ass for exchanges to have to implement and do and do the math and you know and credit and uh, yeah, I major, mean, if major. if you're gonna do it, do it responsibly, kind of like Byteball has done, uh, in my opinion. Uh, you know, they've done a very and stellar. Stellar also did kind of an airdrop, and you've got Bitcore, BTX. Uh, but I mean, I think 2018 is going to be the year of the fork because basically you can have a bunch of cheap Chinese knockoffs where where the the people who do the knocking off are able to shift onto other parties basically all the the costs of doing that, right? Like like they can make Bitfinex pay to support the coin. exactly exactly uh, it's and, free it's free and to so them. it's a form of moral hazard. And all they have to do is spend some money on marketing to to get get like some um, some buzz going, which gets the customers emailing the exchanges, um, and basically right forces this kind of uh, all the administration and the distribution headaches to the exchanges to have to deal with. So I agree with you. I'm worried 
frankly, that we're just going to see a whole bunch of these. Um, and we're going to have a situation where people, uh, if an exchange chooses not to support some kind of fork, all of a sudden they're going to just get everybody's going to want to withdraw their Bitcoin and take it, you know, take it somewhere where they can because everybody's fo- trying to follow this kind of pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And there's going to be well, a myriad of rainbows out there. Right. But that that actually might be a benefit and not a bug. Right. Because what this what what this does is I actually think, you know, the exchanges perhaps even, you know, change the user agreements or the terms of service so that it specifically is agreed to that the that the fork benefits uh, go to the go to the exchange, perhaps as like some type of a storage fee or custodianship fee or something. Uh, But what what that would do is, okay, so, yeah, we have a lot of uh, people withdrawing coins now, but that's great because, you know, I think having lots of bank runs on a regular basis is a good thing because it keeps everybody honest uh, it, because everybody it, should be holding the, the coins that they say they have. It does, uh, except, also, when, except when you're dealing with exchanges that are like ourselves that deal in margin and people are short, long, people are borrowing the asset. And so all of a sudden you could have people who are short, uh, short BTC USD, and all of a sudden people, everybody's long BTC USD, they're pulling all their coins off the exchange because we're not going to support the BCH split. So everybody wants their, their coins. So all of a sudden, the people that are short are going to be find this stuff. They have no borrow, and they're going to be bought back in. There's going to be a big short squeeze as a result of that. So it's – I agree for a, like a place like Bitstamp that doesn't do um, doesn't do leverage, it's a no-brainer. You choose, or you choose to support it or don't support it. You're basically a bank. You're, it's 100% reserve. It doesn't matter to you as an exchange or your users whether or not your Bitcoin reserves go, whether or not your customer Bitcoin balances go to zero or you know stay at a hundred thousand. But when you're running an exchange that's got margin trading um, and allows people to short, it's uh, it's a much more complicated issue uh, to to try to maintain um, a balance such that you don't completely fuck your users. Well, that's. <laughs> I mean, it's anytime we start getting into any type of actual reserve or even margin for that sense, uh, it's There's kind of no going fra- against. Wait, wait, wait! There's no fractional reserve going on here. People need to bo- People are short. They need to borrow bitcoins in order to be short. And on our platform, the term limit, uh, the late longest term you can have on a on a loan is thirty days. But a lot of people are buying two days, three days, four days, and when it expires, they it automatically goes in and borrows again, whatever the rate is. But the issue here is that what happens if there's just no one that's willing to lend because no one's willing to keep coins on the exchange because they they're no because that exchange is not supporting the split or the fork, and that's a problem because then you forcibly have to buy in all of your shorts because we are not operating a fractional reserve system. Every you know you cannot be short unless you have a borrow, and if the, no one's willing to lend because. They, all those people are long and are pulling their bitcoins off to, because we're not supporting the, the fork. Well, that's that's a problem. That's a that is a you know that is a needle that exchanges like us have to thread very carefully, and it's and, and crack into, and other, it's it's a it's it's a it's a yeah. potential pro- problem and a potential powder keg. But but also it's a it's a potential for entrepreneurs because those who calculate correctly they profit and those who calculate incorrectly they have losses and when we have a lot of forks like this going on or airdrops or whatever where you need to hold the private keys and if exchanges decide that they're not going to be uh, supporting the forks or in other words that they get to 
the, the benefit of the forks to accrue to them instead of the, the people that they're custodying assets for, then what that'll do is it'll change the economic uh, calculation people have in terms of holding Bitcoin themselves, uh, the private keys versus holding on exchanges. And all of this helps uh, go into uh, how we actually price the Bitcoins, right? And it, and it kind of makes it more complicated and uh, all of that adds entrepreneurial opportunity, which uh, further incentivizes even more of these network effects to grow uh, I, with, with I the Bitcoin network. I, I agree. And that's why I feel like – but yeah, you're totally right about that. But when you're running an exchange that deals with margin, there are a myriad of nuances associated with handling these types of forks. And at the end of the day, I feel like we probably should and have to support all of these things as they come down the pipeline. I think that's how we're going to do it. And we're going to develop a procedure and process to do that that's going to be more elegant than what we had to deal with last time when we had seven days notice. But um, – you know, it's still it still kind of sucks that you know anybody running a project that invests some money in marketing dollars can get their coin distributed and put in the hands of all these people, um, and basically pushing that custodian cost off to, uh, or rather, the operational cost off to the exchanges. And any exchange that chooses to tax it, you know, uh, more than any other exchange does, well, they'll all of a sudden see a huge outflow. Of bitcoins, which again, if you're not running a margin-based exchange, is totally fine. But when you are running a margin-based exchange, it's problematic for a lot of reasons, um, and it's you know that part of it just sucks. That's all. <laughs> well, I don't disagree with you. Uh, did we have any questions from the room? Uh, I think I think I saw some of those in there. Wow. Well, I just want to say, you know, I agree with PGP because. You know, when we saw the BCH thing coming about, you know, coins were withdrawn and the rates went through the roof. And that's just going to lead to massive short squeezes because when those contracts come up for renewal, they're then at rates they can't afford. And yeah, yeah. But um, I've still got some of my Bitcoins um, lent out at 0.71% a day on Bitfinex because, uh, because of that now. And um, so let's safe. not forget that. Like PGP said, it's a 30-day um, maximum term loan, uh, and BCH was thrust upon the exchanges with only seven days uh, with about a week's notice. So guys who had their, their coins loaned out for 30 days, like a day before the BCH announcement, like it just this whole thing causes so many issues, um, and especially to the peer-to-peer -peer lending market. It's, it's, a, it's, a mass, it's very complicated. It's not the same as any other exchange. Trace, what do you think about the whole idea of free money? Because this annoyed me, like when, when BCH just kind of existed and it just existed at this price and just like this market cap just kind of fabricated out of thin air. It's like we haven't had all these new dollars come on the exchange. Where's this, you know, this suddenly all this, you know, un, un fucking claimed wealth come from? Uh, well, that that's an inter that's a that's far a more interesting question, like theoretically, because how I kind of look at it is, you know, we have eBay and then eBay spun off PayPal and we had both eBay and PayPal. And shortly thereafter, the market cap of both were, were higher than eBay was before. And so in this case, I think what we're seeing is uh, you, you have this spinoff of BCH or the fork and 
and since everybody's kind of got some of it, it's it got immediate network effects because it's got a bunch of holders. Uh, and, you know, then some services started using it. And then you had a bunch of confusingly similar terminology, like calling it Bitcoin Cash versus Bitcoin. It's like they're they're so weak in their own assessment of their ability to run their fork that they need to like leech off of a different project's name or whatever. But, uh, but you know, that confusingly similarness to it, all of these things that, you know, which might've been a form of brand damage, but then, you know, afterwards we see both Bitcoin and Bit and Bcash, uh, higher than they were before and you know sitting around a combined market cap currently of close to five thousand dollars so i think what what we're seeing is it's there was a lot of uncertainty in the market about how forks would be treated and like problems that they could cause and like all types of things like this but we just went through one and the world didn't end for bitcoin and uh, and so, you know, maybe that resolved some of the investor uncertainty, plus SegWit got activated and all this stuff. So, you know, more capital comes in. So we I mean, we don't know how all the capital is flowing around. I kind of look at it. It's a dividend that was paid for with brand damage to Bitcoin. But even then, that's only in the short term In the medium to long term. I think it further cements the Bitcoin brand as being uh, what it is. Yeah, I agree. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I mean, it didn't kill Bitcoin because uh, they had uh, they had very strong two-way uh, replay protection built in. Uh, I mean, I th- think that that's what made this kind of made this kind of fork. It's kind of an airdrop spinoff, whatever you want to call it. Um, ultimately, manageable for exchanges. Um, it was, uh, but the reality is, is that with the upcoming sort of sort of Segwit two X situation, where uh, there may, I mean, we'll, it remains to be seen, but there may not be significant support on on well, both sides of that, uh, and there's no replay protection um, planned for that. So that's going to be a complete clusterfuck. What do you think about that? Yeah, the not having the replay protection is going to be, you know, it's uh, like I, I just, I don't think that's very nice to new users. But really, what it does is it just further incentivizes people to. Uh, have a much more security conscious approach to Bitcoin and how they treat their Bitcoin. You know, you got to treat your Bitcoin with respect or, or you're going to lose them or they're going to disappear. And the other thing is, I mean, like all these people running on SPV wallets and maybe they'll be getting off on the wrong chain or whatever. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a very sophisticated attack. Uh, but guess what? If you're, if you're, a, if you're a holder, if you're hodling, and you're at the center of that network effect. I mean, you can sit there, and you actually don't mind if if a lot of the hashing power isn't hashing because then the rate of inflation decreases. So and, and I mean, you, you, have both, you, can, you have both coins. You know? Yeah, and you have both, and you have both coins. So like hodlers, hodlers are just fine. And because I, I mean, this idea that oh, we got hash rate jumping over to BCH, it's like you realize what's happening, right? Like, like they're, they're inflating BCH at a faster rate to the detriment of BCH hodlers and to the benefit of the, of the BTC hodlers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Trace Migas put a question in the chat. He said, I'd like to know what you think about this attack vector. A counter, a country party could push a fork, sustain an artificial price, and push miners to the hard fork chain because more profitable and bring the legacy chain to a halt. Wouldn't be a good way to kill the legacy. 
Yeah, I mean, that that would be an incredibly expensive attack to run. I think that just to keep the Bitcoin price stable where it's at is something like $78.5 million a day of capital that needs to flow in. And even on BCH, I think it's something like $16.5 million a day. So, I mean, <laughs> these are not wait, wait, insubstantial. How, how, are you, how, are you how are you getting that number? There's uh, like 18, what is it, 1,800 Bitcoins from mine today? Oh, maybe it was in a di- maybe it was in a difficulty period. I'd I'd have to go back and like rerun the exact numbers on it. Let's see. I think it's more like eight million bucks a day for B for BTC. Yep, it is. Yeah. Cool. So so four fourteen forty times twelve and a half times forty four hundred. That's eighty million dollars. What? What for a day? Eight, eight million. Eight. No. Four, 1440. 14, no, 40. Okay, the current price of Bitcoin, 4370 times 1800 is what's mined, supposed to be mined every day? Yep. You're about 8 million. I got 8 million. It's very little. Yeah, it's a lot of money. That's, that's not, you know, not, uh, oh, it's words. It's a lot of money, so. Yeah, but it's not eighty million dollars. It's not um, an order of magnitude higher. Yeah, right. I think I think I had it. I th- I think I had it based on fourteen forty and not one forty four. Yeah, Douglas Douglas got it. So, but I mean, so we're looking at BCH. They're they're actually in. They've increased the rate of their block emissions, right? And so, like it's at, um, I'm we we could go and calculate like how much new capital has to flow into BCH just to keep the price stable. And if it's a state-sponsored attack, it's like, well, how much is a state gonna really like pump into something like this? I mean, they and they and they could do it with hundreds of millions of dollars, right? BCH also slows down at points too. At the beginning of mining mini blocks. Yeah. Well, it's made for what's made up for it. I mean, they're way ahead of Bitcoin now in terms of block height. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, just think, kind of like this non-symmetrical EDA is definitely a bit of a clusterfuck. It's wild. Yeah, it's a total mess. But they got a hard yeah, fork I mean, to it, fix that. Yeah, I mean, they're at like 120 uh, difficulty. They've had 16, 116 more blocks than core. Uh, like if you're, uh, six, if you're six, 1600 more blocks, yeah, one, 1,616 because their block heights at 484017 and the right others there, at 482401. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they're like, that's, a, that's expensive, you know, that like, why are their hodlers paying that much extra in block reward subsidy? Just like <laughs> especially especially since there's a lot of willing hodlers who got their bch still tied up right Jeez. unwilling hodlers yeah cuz i mean you look at the fees the fees are the the, the difference is like 1724x like between the fees uh, per kilobyte with with bcash and with core so like obviously the people who are using core using bcash for transactions they aren't willing to pay uh, but and so the hodlers are having to pay <laughs> and uh, like prioritizing hodlers. I mean, prioritizing uh, people sending transactions over hodlers. Uh, well, I, I just like that's you're getting your network effects out of order.
Yeah, and I don't believe that that amount of money is flowing into BCH every day. I just can't believe it myself. I mean, the way I think about it is that most of their value for like all these coins comes from Bitcoin. You know, they buy it with Bitcoin, they sell it with Bitcoin. I mean, I don't know what the volume's like on the two, but I always think its value really comes from the value of Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, you look at one of, like, I was looking at one of the miner addresses on BCH, and they're holding something like 10,000 BCHs in this mining address, and they just keep accumulating more in there, So, and they haven't been moving them, so, and there, and there's some other addresses like that, so I think, I think some of these miners are, not only are, are people buying BCHs, but the miners are also holding the BCHs that that they otherwise probably should be selling to meet their fixed expenses. So they're they're yeah, also exactly kind of speculating on, exactly. on BCHs going up. Those miners are retarded. Well, I mean, the, the, the issue is, like, how long, like, how, how much value does the BCH chain actually add, right? And that's one of the reasons I really like transaction fees and as a metric to determine like fundamental value because what other metric do we have to measure the value that a blockchain adds? We don't have any other metric where people are actually paying hard costs to use the blockchain. That's what we get with transaction fees. You know, even with the block rewards, it's it's a form of inflation and so like that that's a little bit more fuzzy, but with transaction fees, I mean, we see what people are actually willing to pay to use it. And how many transactions do hodlers actually have to engage in? Yeah. Right. Like they don't have to engage in transactions very often. But there's a problem with that theory. Isn't isn't there a problem with that in that the miners can manipulate the fee market, which they're probably currently doing now? Uh, Well, sure. They can can, to a certain extent they can. But uh, you still have a price elasticity of demand for that for the transactional fees and you have substitute goods. You know, if Bitcoin's too expensive, go use Bcash, go use PIVX, go use Dash, go use Litecoin. I mean, we got we got plenty of other options. So there are plenty of substitute goods that people can use uh, for for transactional demand. So I mean, okay, miners, I guess, can like try to try to squeeze out a little bit more in terms of fees, but I don't. But but eventually, there's there's a there's a limit that people are willing to pay. and that's a that's a limit that each person is choosing individually and then it gets reflected into the transactional fees nobody wants to eat at a restaurant where it's easy to get a reservation you know, well, maybe, maybe if they run a big, maybe if they run a Bitcoin exchange and kidding, make a ton of I'm money, kidding. they can they can be like that, right? But but, it, but in some but in some sense, it's like the reality is, is the the fact that there's so much competition for block space and people are willing to pay as much as they're willing to pay. Um, I think is bullish, not bearish for for the the value proposition of Bitcoin. I mean, I I mean, I think that's I mean, there's I think that's kind of an a priori assumption surrounds that kind of viewpoint, but. That's that's the one I subscribe to for sure. Well, well, you're you're correct, Phil, because everybody like you can always pay less to use Bitcoin, right? Like like just because fees are high now doesn't mean that they'll they'll be high tomorrow or they'll be high a week from now or a year from now. Uh, if 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 people stop are are unwilling to pay those fees, then the fees will come down and it'll naturally adjust. Uh, and, I mean, so, it just it just gets in the way of using Bitcoin as a transactional currency for for relatively small everyday type purchases. I've always I've always felt that that is like that use case is really I mean that that use case is a red herring um, today at least. Uh, but it does get in 
in the way of that use case. All others, I mean, for hodlers, for large large cross border transactions, payments, things like that. I mean, the fee the fee uh, the fee inflation here that we're having, I don't think is a problem at all. So, but, right, so but, do you mean but, that the merchant payments, uh, like you think Bitcoin for merchant payments just isn't a good solution? Zane, I no. don't think I don't think that there's that much Bitcoin being used as a kind of retail payment solution for shit on the web. It's just for small stuff. It just it's, it's just not happening. Yeah, but, I mean, we can we can the whole look, merchant adoption the- thing. You know, it's it's always been a red herring in my mind. Well, we can. I mean, we can look at the numbers. I find it somewhat odd that it's a red herring, but it's a feature that's been added into Bitfinex. What feature is that? Auto sell feature. I mean, the, the original name for it was Merchant Tools. Yeah, but we don't, we don't, we don't promote that. It's, it's just never, it never really. It's, it's not, it's not something we hear about from people. And I don't know. I mean, BitPay. Well, I don't know how much money I mean, BitPay so, is really making. How many, how many people are actually using Bitcoin to go buy? Ten dollar items that you know. I mean, sure. If you're going to buy stuff from Newegg or Dell, and you're spending a couple thousand bucks to buy a new computer, or buy some, uh, you know, buy some, you know, mining equipment or what have you, and you're paying, you know, hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars, you don't care about a five dollar transaction fee. Phil, uh, Phil I, I mean, I remember the discussion where we had where we talked with Raphael about implementing and turning live the merchant adoption feature, the merchant tools feature, and it wasn't because we just thought it'd be for shits and giggles. It was because we were getting requests for it. So I well, mean, well, there was attention update, paid, to it, which is why it we don't. Live. We're not getting requests then, for it. And then, furthermore, beyond that, uh, I, as long with I, along with many of my friends and many other people, use Bitcoin every single day for those payments. And it was a lot nicer when we were paying fifty cents versus seven dollars for a transaction. I don't. I don't disagree. I just don't think that merchant, this sort of like consumer to merchant transfers of Bitcoin, is a big part of the picture. I agree, it's part of the picture. I just don't think it's a big part of it right now. It just isn't. We're still in that speculative phase, and Bitcoin certainly has utility for transferring large amounts of money cross-border between people, what have you. But the fact that people are willing to pay $5 for a transaction right now could be an indicator that Bitcoin doesn't give a fuck about merchant adoption right now or for small-size merchant adoption, for small ticket shit. They, Bitcoin doesn't care about that. Can, can I rewind well, for one sec? I just wanted to touch on Trace's uh, uh, theory that Transaction fees is maybe may, may a good metric to value uh, to find about the the correct price of Bitcoin. I, I just I don't know because if you look at any type of efficiency upgrades on Bitcoin like SegWit or Lightning things like that, those things drive down the fee market um, and would, so that that would be bearish for Bitcoin. But. Well, I mean, it wouldn't it wouldn't be bearish because you'd get increased usage in terms of those merchant use cases. So you're going to be increasing the network effects. But you know, I'm just I'm just like, what metric out there? Like blockchains, they don't have EBITDA, right? Like, I mean, how do we value these things? Is is kind of the question I'm asking, and so that's why. Well, one metric I like is being able to value them based on how much people are willing to pay in terms of transaction fees. Uh, but you know, with things like SegWit and 
uh, Lightning Network. These are these are going to increase. It's going to be like compression. So more people are going to be able to use these. You know, we're going to have additional layers. So more people overall are going to be able to use Bitcoin. Uh, as a result of those things, which means that they're going to have to be coming in and out. They're going to have to be open closing lightning channels. I mean, imagine if instead of having a single transaction where somebody's buying like a $500,000 gold bar and so they're willing to pay $7 for transaction fee, instead you're opening and closing a lightning network channel where where you've had $50 million worth of transactions go go over it. And so now it's people who are who are operating lots of lightning network channels that are completing for the block space instead of just one single economic transaction. Yeah. Flipper, you wanted to touch on that? Yeah, I mean, I just want to say because, I mean, Dash, just the other day, maybe yesterday, I think it hit 0 0.98, 0 0.098. You know, this is the people are valuing that at almost 10% of the value of Bitcoin. And yet the blocks rent per per dash. It's not yeah. ten percent of the total value of Bitcoin. But the blocks are empty. And it's the same like NEM, you know? You know yeah. I uh, nobody uses these things. They're scams. Yeah. It's like it's like no nobody's using these. And like so many of the top coins on the market it's like Ethereum Classic, you know. Y you look on this coin market cap at these coins and you go and look at the block explorers. They're empty. They're dead. It's vapor. They're just speculative vehicles. That's all. Well, I mean, we, we had Webvan and Pets.com and like all this stuff, you know, and, and a lot of capital got misallocated. And then uh, then the crash came and the tide went out and we found out who was swimming naked and who wasn't. Like we, we have a lot of speculative money in the Bitcoin and blockchain space. And I mean, who knows when we might have a sector wide change again where we have a bear market and where we get to shake out yeah. a whole bunch of these players that's well well said trace I, I i agree i mean there's we're in that speculative fervor moment it is it's like it's like the dot-com bubble and it could go up 10x from here all this shit before you know we have that sort of reckoning that's that's yeah know. i mean 10 10x yeah i mean we had 0.3 trillion dollars in the tech bubble height we we're only at like 115 billion or 150 billion or whatever it is uh right now with with the whole entire crypto industry market cap. So, I mean, we, we could see a 20x increase in market cap across the board on all these coins. And then maybe we would start to be getting frothy and everything. Plus, we're in a totally different environment now with quantitative easing and negative interest rate policy, zero interest rate policy, all the misallocations of capital, the implosion of the current system, uh, just the financial innovation and wealth creation that is happening. We, we do have fundamental wealth creation happening in, in all of what we're doing here so you know some of this is speculative fervor but some of it is genuine wealth creation and another big part of it's wealth transfer so you know i <laughs> we're, we're we're in the right industry at the right time and you want to be long more than you want to be short in my opinion. amen Speaking of which, is that the uh, is that the dip? Are we done? Are we hey. going back up? Hey, Trace, I, would you mind like kind of um, giving us a rundown on what you think about like top say five or ten cryptos out there? Yeah. Uh, oh man, my top five or ten cryptos. Um, well, I mean, just I mean, Bitcoin market cap. I mean, I mean, obviously, we know how you feel about Bitcoin, but yeah, I mean, what do you think about yeah, the others? Yeah, I like Bitcoin. So Ether. 
Ether's got a lot of corporate support, obviously. What I'm worried about is the rate at which their blockchain is growing and also the cavalier attitude that Vitalik has towards security. Uh, he said, I mean, he, he just tweeted out recently, like, the entire industry is paying too much for security. And it's like, man, how person to say that the market is totally wrong and what for security? I mean, it's a market. So obviously, like, we're valuing security as a whole for a reason. Uh, but um, look at the problems that we've had over there at Ether. I mean, they, they like roll in a big massive request into the parity wallet that sits there for six months and then people get hacked and lose $30 million. Who's to say that that dev didn't put that in the, in the wallet on purpose in order to steal everybody's money? You know, Gavin would, but he didn't just steal everybody's money that way. And so like this Kevlar attitude that is out there towards security uh, and, and it shows up right there in like the in in the whole Ethereum project, which has a thirty two billion dollar market cap. I mean, maybe people just have to lose a lot of money before they it, it focuses their mind to take security seriously. And that's you know, and, that, and, that, and that's really Bitcoin selling point, right, is security is digital gold. And so then and, we keep going yeah, down. And the, a rock, oh, rock go, solid, go ahead, Bill. rock solid reference client. Yeah, rock solid reference client. I mean, like it's Ethereum all about security. Ethereum doesn't like, have. They, they're all about the protocol. No reference clients. Just they yeah, define the, yeah, yeah. So so Ethereum, we've got issues with the the size of the blockchain. I mean, like thirty per thirty percent of their nodes aren't operating anymore. I mean, it's like their their blockchain is huge. It's absolutely huge, and it, it's growing at at a very fast rate, especially compared to Bitcoin. And then look at how much CPU processing power it requires even to run a full node. I mean, that in and of itself like tells the insti- entire story of of Ethereum. Um, so. You know, between like the lack of decentralization, the lack of scalability, the lack of security, uh, I mean, I kind of look at Ethereum and it's like, well, I mean, it's a fun speculative project and you move fast and break things. But I just don't don't know that I would want to leave any serious amount of value there for a year or two. Uh, Then, you know, we go down to the next one. We get Bitcoin Cash. Like, uh, (laughs) I mean... Uh, we already discussed like the EDA, the, the how, how the miners are fleecing the ho- the hodlers through uh, performing a whole bunch of work that really shouldn't be valued because the blocks aren't even full anyways. Uh, then we get to Ripple. Uh, Ripple. I mean, I don't even know what to what to make a Ripple. I mean, I went and met with Chris Larson, you know, like three or four years ago in San Francisco. So I've been following the Ripple project for a while, but they're doing a lot of stuff. I guess kind of behind the closed doors, and so I just haven't really been able to follow what they're doing, and I don't really even know why or understand why their why their market cap is so high, other than they have a ton of locked up tokens. That's another thing about Bitcoin that I really like is that you know nobody's locked up. This stuff's all trading. Like it's a very free market. You know, I mean, people can cast dispersions on exchanges or or tethers or like whatever it is. But at the end of the day, like those bitcoins, they go into a transaction that goes into the blockchain, and so you have to deliver a hundred percent quantity and quality of like whatever it is, or it didn't happen. Uh, and so, rip. I don't even know how to properly value that thing or whether any actual fundamental stuff's getting done, or whether they're just trying to get a whole bunch of big uh, hodlers to buy and then lock them up for long periods of time. Litecoin, uh, I mean, activated SegWit, it's always kind of been there in reserve, you know, for Bitcoin, uh, copycat. So, I mean, like, 
why is it a three million three billion dollar market cap? I I don't really know. Maybe people use it a lot for mixing, uh, which is going to take off, you know, with cross cross uh, blockchain atomic swaps with the SegWit enables. Then we've got Dash. Dash is so I've actually really been interested in Dash and like watched it. I interviewed Evan Duffield on my podcast when it was three dollars, and now it hit four hundred dollars this week. I think Dash has actually made a fundamental innovation in how they use these master nodes to pay out on different projects that people want. And so, like Bitcoin, you know, if if you're going to evangelize Bitcoin, you kind of have to do it out of the goodness of your heart. But with Dash, you can like submit a proposal and get paid directly from the blockchain. So I think that's actually kind of fundamental innovation. Um, so there we go. That's there's the top six. We got any more we it, want to yeah, talk do you about? Think it's worth four hundred dollars. Uh, no, I I don't. <laughs> um, if I had any Dash, I, I definitely would have sold it at four hundred dollars. But then again, I probably would have sold it at eighty dollars or one hundred twenty. Dollars. I'm I'm kind of bad at taking profits. So, but nobody ever went broke taking profits either, right? Right. No, that's true. Um, I'm, I just want to back up to one thing. I, I thought I heard you very briefly cast aspersions upon Tether. Um, I, I'm a principal in Tether. I, I just want to know what your what your issues with with, with that product are. Uh, well, the first, I haven't done enough research on it. I read that article that I'm sure that that you read that yeah, like a hundred I mean, million all, of them got created or yeah, whatever. It's all fun. Um, and, and I just haven't, you know, I like, I don't, I don't have any tethers. Um, and so like, I don't have a monkey, like it's not my monkey, not my circus type of thing. Uh, but, but the point, the point I'm making is that if people do have, you know, if people do have tethers and they buy Bitcoins and then like the Bitcoins have to show up in the blockchain. Right. So like we've got a free market. So regardless of uh, because you, you're, you're able to settle into this immutable blockchain. So, right. you know, regardless of regardless of any of the other issues that are swirling around out there, like I mean, whether whether it's U.S. dollars or whether it's the bank or like whatever it is, like or tethers or dash or whatever it is. You can settle into the blockchain and you can know that you've got Bitcoins and you can run your full node and do your own network consensus and hold your own private keys. And so that's really changed our risk-free rate and kind of changed our numeraire in terms of like, what is it that is actually a risk-free asset out here? I mean, is Ethereum a risk-free asset? No. Uh, look at all the issues that it's had. Um, and and I think it's got huge scalability issues uh, going down the road. And so, you know, when we're when we're looking at this, uh, you know, that that's kind of the point I was making, not to like attack Tether specifically, but to make the point that we're settling onto the Bitcoin blockchain. And you like you can't you can't game that, you know, like you right. can game a whole lot of other stuff out there with lines of credit or margin or like whatever it is or or lending or like all of the repos like I mean our current financial system is great at like three card money right but like bitcoin they're either in the address in the blockchain or they're not and and that i think provides a fundamental level of transparency that people are then able to trust and and that's really the big value proposition that bitcoin gives us and i think a lot of people playing around in cryptocurrency land they don't fully appreciate what that means being able to trust 
like something. I mean, it, it's going to be great when some of these big whales that are holding BCHs are now, they've now like shot of their BCHs and they're incentivized to do 10, 20, 50 block reorgs on the big, on the BCH uh, blockchain. You know, that's going to get real fun. Trades, I agree with you on Ethereum. I just, I think it has massive scalabilities going forward. I mean, just one big ICO will just crash Ethereum for a whole day. And, and it's like, and there's that other site, like Ethroll or whatever it's called, you know, or, or, or going to, you try to use any of these smart contracts, you know, they're so slow, they're always changing the gas limit, so contracts were before, didn't, you know, now, you know, the solidity language is crap. I, I, I honestly think that ETH is fucking shit. Yeah, and I, I mean, and how many people actually want the like? I mean, we're we're dealing at the cutting edge of like monetary innovation and evolution. I mean, yeah, it's fun to run a lot of science projects, but I mean, there's there's a lot of R and D dollars that are that that are gonna like not turn into anything substantial. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would I would have to say with respect to Ethereum, uh, I'm a bit more bullish than I think others are. I, I'm, I don't know about the current price per se. But I think longer term, I think something like Ethereum, once it kind of gets through its teething cycle and deals with the security issues and deals with these, um, you know, try, tries to kind of maybe narrow the sort of what's basically an infinite attack surface right now, um, then, you know, ultimately, I think there is a market down the road for sort of arbitrarily complex smart contracts. But today, I mean, Ethereum. Ethereum's got one, you know, one killer app, one killer DAP, and that's the that's the ERC twenty. That is, you know, token issuance. That's the only thing that's actually happened. It's the only DAP, if we can call it a yeah. DAP, that is happening on Ethereum today. But that's enough, by the way, to drive a shit ton of value into Ethereum because you need to buy Ethereum to get involved in these all these other kind of projects which is which are with that stuff resembles much more the dot-com bubble than the actual underlying cryptocurrencies themselves do in my mind but yeah but but another other problem with that is i mean it's erc it's it's reached for comment right so like it's not even supposed to be a specification i agree, I agree. Uh, but yeah. but then then we've activated segwit and what's segwit going to enable us to do it's going to enable us to do sidechains and sidechains can do token issuance, no problem. Yeah, that'll be easy. Yeah, but but we'll actually like when we do when we do token, we do any type of altcoin or, or token issuance on sidechains. We actually have a huge benefit, and the benefit is that we're able to move the bitcoins over there, right? So we produce we we, we provide a floor to the token value yes. in terms of bitcoin. Yes. And then we can create additional value on top of it. And so, you know, I think that's going to be like in terms of altcoins, I think I think when Adam Back like first came out with the whole idea of them, someone put out a put out a tweet where it was like the emperor in it. And it said uh, there was a disturbance in the force and all the altcoins were silenced or something like that, you know, like from Star Wars. (laughs) And and it's like no this is serious stuff like i mean there's a real reason i think segwit in, engendered so much animosity is because it's directly attacking so many different 
areas all over the entire ecosystem, whether it's fungibility, whether it's Lightning Network, whether it's all these altcoins, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Oh, a couple of the altcoins that I guess I, I... I also have kind of followed a little bit is we've got Byteball, which is the uh, digital oscillograph. I think that's pretty cool, uh, especially like the Giga Black Bytes. And then um, the other one, I like when I, I did the interview with Jeff Berwick on user at, on BIP 148, they got like the 170,000 views or whatever and kind of kicked off the whole, <laughs> really kind of kind of kicked off the whole thing. Uh, I mentioned Pivx in there and Pivx was like 85 cents. And now I was just checking it hit like 317 or something. And so I kind of like Pivx because it's a it's a fork of Dash, except it's proof of stake. Plus they they're, they want to roll in like this zero coin or something like that. So I think it could be kind of an interesting play. Uh, but I actually don't have any Pivx. Uh, I just kind of been following the project and find it interesting. Tracy, making me horny talking about these side chains and building these kind of layers on top of Bitcoin, adding value like this. Sounds so good. <laughs> well, girls should do that for you, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I know. I well, it does. I I I have to agree with Flibber. Like you know, I, I sometimes feel like um, yeah, I get inappropriately excited when I think about Segwit. Oh my god! I can't. <laughs> this uh, this segment shit sounds so good. I mean, when are we gonna start seeing this stuff be realized? Oh no! It. I mean, they've been working on it with like you go look at sidechains elements and uh, some of the side, some of the other uh, stuff that blockchain has been doing. I it. I mean, it, it's 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 on like Donkey Kong and hey, not to mention these on, yeah. satellites. We, we, the, these satellites are so cool. <laughs> yeah, they they are cool. I mean, I think people have been kind of downplaying that, but it's it's that is a really interesting piece of infrastructure that I think that the world and Bitcoin cryptocurrency needs in general. But I, I was going to say that from Bifinex's standpoint, like w- we're been in touch with, we've been working with uh, uh, Lightning developers to try to implement Lightning on, on, on Litecoin. And of course now it's going to be possible in Bitcoin, but I, I know that we're not the only exchange that's, that's very keen on trying to, uh, to be additive to that process and trying to create uh, help create markets for you know for for Litecoin trend for Lightning transactions. So it's it's happening. It's coming. It just unfortunately everything takes time when it comes to software development. Phil, you're gonna yeah, I mean, in and, well, I mean, uh, it you know in my bunker upstate, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna get a sat node. No, just to like check it against uh, any like I don't know internet driven attacks. Um, well, I mean, well, I mean what, what's really cool with the satellite node is, you know, if if, if you could get it to tied in uh, directly with Armory on like a, some laptop, you know, now you've got an air gap machine. Your ISV doesn't even know that you're using Bitcoin. Uh, I mean, the privacy implications of this. It's great. The privacy implications of the satellite are great, which I think are kind of understated. I mean, I just like it. The, the Bitcoin is totally different. 2017 Bitcoin is totally different from like 2013 Bitcoin. And with SegWit getting getting rolled out and these satellites and everything, 2022 Bitcoin is going to be hugely different from 2017 Bitcoin. Let me ask you, Trace, what about fungibility? Yeah, I mean, uh, like look at our lightning network uh, that that's coming down the pipeline. I think that's one of the reasons SegWit probably got 
so much uh, animosity that it because people like Jeff Garzik or Chain Analysis, like it's going to make their job really, really hard. And that's the next big problem I think we need to tackle is removing the smell from Bitcoin. You know, the Swiss like to say that gold has no smell because you can melt down the gold bars and there you go. You got a new gold bar. So, you know, we need to remove this smell from Bitcoin. Uh, and, you know, that's probably the next big, big step uh, to, to, to do. <laughs> but there's a lot that, that SegWit can do to help us uh, accomplish that, especially with, light, with lightning networks and cross-blockchain atomic swaps and, and some of these other things. So uh, let me ask you this question, I, and I I apologize because maybe you've talked about this already when you first came on. I I don't know your stance on this sort of SegWit two X thing, but I mean, how do you feel about the fact that the probably the best computer scientist to get us to all these advanced features might be substantially alienated um, if SegWit two X is successful? Well, I just I just don't see SegWit two X getting any significant uptake. Oh, okay. Uh, so I mean, you're you you okay? So you're in the camp of people that doesn't think it's gonna. How succeed. how do you how do how do you roll out and up to a network as big and diverse as Bitcoin that's been so widely deployed in a matter of a couple of months? I mean, like, it's just that's a really hard thing to do. I just I just don't see that happening. I mean, I was reading over on RBTC, like some some guy sent his BTC to his his BCH address and and now they weren't showing up in his treasure wallet and he's like all freaking out because he can't find his bitcoins. You, you have <laughs> I mean, no idea how much of that shit we deal with right now. So oh, many I mean, people are sending I mean, bitcoin to BCH addresses and vice versa. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. I mean the the Bitrex the Bitrex uh, CEO he tweeted out like if you do that we're not gonna find your bitcoins for you <laughs> so I mean like you, you you the the sheer amount of human capital that that has to get upgraded <laughs> in terms of like people being able to learn like what's going on the intellectual distribution that has to take place and and all the different languages that it has to take place in like you really think couple of companies are going to be able to roll this out. A couple that at the end of the day are pretty small fry. I mean, like Steve, Stephen Pear's blog post about BitPay, they do a billion dollars a month of transactions. I mean, how, much volume, does Bit, how much volume does Bitfinex do in a day, right? Or, or, or BitGo, they've processed a billion dollars like a month or something like that. It's like, well, well we that's do, we nice. Do about, but... We do about 10 billion a month. More, actually about 12 now. Yeah, I mean, like, the, it, it, you're hurting a bunch of ADD ferrets on meth, honey badgers, you know? I mean, like, <laughs> I, I just, I, I don't see anybody being able to marshal the community that quickly, because uh, the community is just so so widespread, there's so many different interests, there's, I mean, how do you get the nodes out there? How do you, how do you get people to trust your software? You know, I mean, especially if it's not out there in the open and the development's not out there in the open. Like, uh, look at the parity wallet, $30 million loss. I mean, that, like, it's just, you you don't, you don't get people to just, like, trust your software, you know? It it takes a lot of time. I was talking about this earlier as well, because, I mean, the, you know, Garzik's reputation on what he's coded so far and I'm looking at I'm looking at him, and then I'm looking at the core developers, which have looked after everything so well. You know, it's like I have a lot of trust and a lot of faith in them, and I don't want to give that to somebody else. 
Well, I was I was talking with Greg Maxwell last week. I, I was having lunch with him. I was, you know, really congratulating him on getting this satellite out. And he made the comment. He's like, it's Jeff Garzik against my army. <laughs> I mean, go look at the release notes on uh, 0.15 or 0.14.2. I mean, we've got hundreds yes. of people who have contributed to Bitcoin Core. Like... I and I mean anybody actually done software development? It's like playing Django with a bunch of math in your head. I mean, it, like it just is, yeah. loading all that source code into your brain to figure out how it works, and then keeping it fresh and not being stale. Like, uh, I mean that that it's huge amounts of resources that are that are behind Bitcoin. I mean, you're not gonna just all switch over to two X. I mean sure they can go ahead and do the fork and we might have another bcash on our hands but bcash I mean, with no reflection yeah bcash with no like this will be fun you know and may, maybe that's what it takes uh, a lot of people losing a lot of money you know to take some to take some security seriously and and understand why uh they should they should like the core team you know is irresponsible with them who you think it's irresponsible of those Segwit 2x people to not implement replay protection on behalf of users? I I I think there's a lot of things that they're doing that's uh, very irresponsible. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, users, you 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 want to be in this space, you got to put on your big boy or big girl, and it's all about the software you run. From what I understand, zero one five is banning like BTC one nodes or whatever it is. So like at the worst, you just totally ignore the Segwit two X chain. You know, like just ignore it. And and I actually find it interesting that Bcash is able to. <laughs> I mean, why why did they have to go and copy all the Bitcoin Core code? <laughs> like, why didn't they just write all their own code? <laughs> Yeah, but I think the I mean, it's really it's really funny. <laughs> I think the the code maintenance, the upkeep. I mean, you look at Bitcoin Core. I mean, they're pulling they're merging pull requests every six hours. I mean, that kind of like you say, mental Jenga holding all that code in your head and putting it together and merging these pull requests. I mean, that's a tall order to keep up with that. There's, yeah, oh yeah, there's I an mean, enormous no, nobody, amount of man hours going into Bitcoin every day. No, no, nobody, nobody's able to keep up with that. I mean, look at how long it's taking a lot of these companies just to add BCH uh, support. You know, like their 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 tech teams are are a disaster in a lot of cases. You know, yeah. and and so I mean, the the. The, the smartest, the most competent, a lot of the internet legends, they're working on Bitcoin Core. And at the end of the day, money follows management. Look, I, this isn't I like, I mean, I mean, like you're, you're trying to vie for like investor dollars here. And so like, why should I put any money on BTC1? I mean, please, like make the case to me because I like... I try to be extremely objective. I don't like to let ego or politics get in my portfolio because, I mean, that's cancerous to your portfolio. And so, you know, make the case to me on why I should be allocating capital towards that, you know, and, and I mean, why should I be allocating capital towards BCH? It looks like a complete train wreck, especially with how this EDA and the inflation uh, seems to be playing out. I totally agree. I just I just won't buy it because I just have such little faith in it in the development behind it like you say the EDA thing I mean to me I just keep saying in my mind it's worthless 
Yeah, well, I mean, what it what it does help us understand is the value of propaganda. You know, because uh, we're like Buffett. Buffett talked about how he liked holding Washington Post and other newspapers because there was value uh, besides just in the earnings. And so, you know, I shouldn't. I don't think we should underestimate like the value of propaganda, uh, especially in this space where we have to. You know, we have to rely on experts. Uh, or most people have to rely on experts when it comes to the software they run or the coins they buy or or whatever it is. And that just opens up a lot of opportunity for misallocations of capital. Chris, I've got another one for you. What do you think about this whole, like the Reddit shill taking over Bitcoin markets over our Bitcoin, you know, these fake Twitter accounts? Like, who's doing this? Who's like paying for all this kind of fake narrative spam shit we're seeing everywhere? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I got no idea. I mean, where where's the ROI on engaging in that type of behavior? Uh, who's who stands to gain? Qui bono, right? Like, who stands to make think, any money from that? Do you think Roger cares about ROI? Uh, yeah, I, I think he does. I mean, I I actually spend quite a bit of time with Roger whenever I can. Um, yeah, I mean, we differ. We have a lot of differ. Di- opinions in public but at the end of the day i think he he cares about his roi i think he misallocates capital though i think he makes mistakes and misallocates capital but isn't that uh, the I mean, same just, thing i mean not caring about your roi is about misallocating capital no because you i mean you can make a like you can care about your roi but you can make a mistake and misallocate capital and lose money right but but I, you still I, cared I, about I, like trying I, to get I the see, roi i see i see yeah okay um and and so I think like in Roger's case, I mean, oh my gosh! Like you look at Bitcoin.com, I mean, how much did he buy it for? Having a full time team of like thirty two people, much cash has he burned? You know, and been burning cash when Bitcoin was like six hundred bucks, right? So had you had he just put all that capital into Bitcoin and sat on it instead of like burning it into Bitcoin.com for a hobby? I mean, that could be like forty to sixty million dollars. Maybe even more. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what his financials look like over there with that thing. Uh, but one one thing I know is that you know you can only you can only take losses like that for so long before you have to get yeah. capital from somewhere else. Like whether it's a state sponsored attack uh, or or whatever. Not and I and I don't think we're. I and and I will I will say I don't necessarily think that. Like all this Reddit stuff, or even Jihan for that matter, I don't, I don't necessarily think that they're state-sponsored actors, um, but for for whatever that's worth. <laughs> what do you take? What do you think about the so-called um, uh, uh, we call it the, the can't find the right word. I'll come back to it. But yeah, there is a hardcore concerted marketing effort to pump this alternate narrative. Another one that gets me is this whole Blockstream core narrative. You know, you see Jihan pushing it, Roger pushing it, Olivier pushing it, all the shills pushing it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so, uh, I just, I mean, I don't, 
like really you're gonna you're gonna like go after Dr. Back, who cited in the Tor white paper and the Bitcoin white paper, who's been like a cryptography political activist like before you were born, who like mentored oh, yeah. David Chom on anonymous digital cash. I mean, really? <laughs> I mean, if anybody's got street cred, it's Dr. Back, uh, when it comes agree. to like cypherpunk stuff. I totally agree. And as you say, money follows management and the, those people working on core it's like it's like i'm against segwit2x but if core if core said oh yeah you know we we're going to go ahead with this and we you know i would follow core um, and you know what the core developers want to do i i don't follow barry silberton this agreement that was like made to sidestep all these people yeah i mean i i i agree with that you know you you have to unless you're going to write the software yourself or you're going to read an author the software that's out there you have to give your proxy vote to somebody right and so who are you going to give yeah. your proxy vote to are you going to give it to jeff garzik and and all whoever's behind him uh are you going to give it to the bcash team are you going to give it to the pivx team are you going to give it to the dash team the monero team or are you going to give it to bitcoin core you're going to diversify it among a lot of them i mean you, you got to figure out where you're going to where you're going to give your proxy How do you think prices go and then trace in the next, what, six, 12 months? What was that? Where do you think prices going in the next six to 12 months? Oh, man. Uh, well, if we look at the 200-day moving average, it's around $2,000 for Bitcoin. So we're, you know, a little bit over double that. Our previous bubbles have been anywhere from like 32x to 16x to 8x. So if we went to 4.5x, the 200-day moving average, when we're in like January or February, that could put us around $15,000 Bitcoin. So, so you know, that would be, you know, that that I think is possible. Do I think is very probable? Uh, probably not, but I've been completely surprised on where Bitcoin can go. I mean, I did an interview about a year ago, Bitcoin 600 bucks, and I called the shot, said it'd go to 3,000, 3,500, and here we are significantly above it. Uh, and and the, the bull market actually seems fairly muted. I mean, maybe maybe Phil's got a little bit more insight on that over on the exchange side of stuff, but you know, with Ledger X coming on board, getting CFTC yeah. approval for derivatives, and Anybody who wants to know how those derivatives work, I interviewed Paul about 18 months ago on my Bitcoin Knowledge podcast, and, and I asked him some really hard questions on how these physically delivered Bitcoin derivatives are going to work. And I mean, I was actually pretty satisfied with his answers in terms that we're not going to be having a bunch of paper Bitcoin getting sold out there at the institutional level. Uh, and, you know, with the with the ETFs getting denied you know, how else does Goldman or pension funds or whoever come in and play with uh, with Bitcoin? Uh, and and Bitcoin is tiny. It's a $70 billion market cap. It is nothing. It's not even a flea in the, in the grand scheme of things right now. Uh, and yet there's a lot of potential. It's the only blockchain that has security, scalability, and liquidity all at the same time. And I don't see a BCH ETF being created. I don't see any BT, BCH or Segwit2x uh, derivatives being traded or or being slated to be traded, uh, like 
you know, these are network effects. That's the sixth network effect of financialization is getting these Wall Street instruments to take root with them. Uh, so oh, here here we go. I mean, I, but then I, again, I, still, I still think it might take a little time. I mean, I think that Paul's got his, you know, even though they've got a, a, a licensing approval, does not the products themselves, the contracts themselves have yet to be approved. And it, it's going to be it, it's coming. But it's not imminent, right? It's not going to happen in two or three months. It's it's a, it's further out than that still. Right. Um, I mean, his his first his first contract is going to be Bitcoin for delivery within a day, fully, like the yeah, next day, fully or collateralized. Right? But, but, other, but 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 to put this in perspective, I had a friend. Uh, he he runs an activist hedge fund in New York. We had breakfast. Him and a, a fellow that worked for Arthur Burns at the Fed, PhD in finance, taught at Columbia. You know, the two of these have their hedge funds. They make you know, one's a self-made billionaire. We were talking about Bitcoin when it was a quarter. We had one of them was so nice. He let us have the board meeting for Armory at his office, right? And 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 this guy still, from what I understand, still has not bought any Bitcoin, mainly because it's just been too difficult. For him to try to figure out how to do it. I mean, I brought Agreed. it to him at, his, at a quarter. We had board meetings with like Armory the wallet, like in his office, and yet he's missed it. Do you, how much money is there on the sidelines that's looking at this, being like, you know what? Maybe we'll allocate one percent into it. But, you know, but there is the GBTC, which obviously trades at a huge premium to NAV. But I mean, there are mechanisms. But I agree with you that once once there is a vibrant sort of institutional market for uh for derivatives futures options what have you then that will really that that will mark the moment where real serious money enters where billions enter the market very quickly um but i wanted to answer your or rather respond to a point you made just just a little while ago about what we're seeing as an exchange with respect to being at these you know near ath levels i i'm going to agree with you it's the price action is muted, but um, the uh, there's you know, money continues to pour into the exchange. People are getting long. I mean, we we have the number of institutional customers that are signing up continues to be um, uh, surprising. Um, so we're, we're we're dealing with a lot of uh, a, a back. We're dealing with a backlog of verifications. Obviously, we prioritize, you know, um, you know, institutional verifications, but there's a lot. But th- I mean, the price action is is hardly frothy yet. Hardly. It's. I would say that if we, based on where we are right now, I could very easily see us at ten thousand in late fall, um, only because we've made a very good base at these levels, and. You know, and there, every attempt to sell it off, there's been sharp attempts, but we've had really, really strong bounce backs, and uh, I, I think it looks really bullish to me. Yeah, it, it looks bullish to me, and I mean the volumes, the liquidity looks bullish, and then you get things like like BCH. I mean, think of how much demand that's actually created for additional bitcoins. Right, because anybody who's selling their BCH for BT, like you, still have to deliver those well, BTC at, to the blockchain. That's true, and we're basically five thousand dollars a Bitcoin when you take that into account. Yeah, well, it makes me wonder how much of the Bitcoin price has actually moved up solely because people are trading their BCHs into BTC. That's a good question. I don't know. 
don't know. Because because that dries up part of the saleable Bitcoin, right? Because I mean, we've got Bitcoin that's lost. We got Bitcoin that's in deep cold storage. Is, got... is, is, is that kind of just bringing forward? Demand that was there, but was kind of like uh, muted because of the fork. I I don't know. It's it's hard to analyze that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we don't really know because because I mean, the question is like, well, where did this quote unquote free money come from? I mean, that it was somewhere in there, but you created this asset that then somehow got a bid, and now since it's got a bid, like you, I mean, you actually have to deliver BTC for these BCHs. I mean, one of the things I love about altcoins is the ability to acquire more BTC with them. Uh, you know, because like, <laughs> like why play around? Why play around with Dash unless you're actually going to increase your net worth and as measured in Bitcoins, right? Yeah. I said Bitcoin is the it's the, it, it is it is the reserve currency of crypto, isn't it? It's how everybody accumulates. Like when I got my Bitcash. You know, I obviously had like, and its price was instantly at this level, whatever. You know, my my USD value was suddenly a lot more. And when I wanted to preserve my USD value, well, I sold my Bitcash because I keep my value in Bitcoin. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that, unless we're just emotionally charged, whatever. Uh, I mean, in my case, I'm I'm treating the Bcash like when if I actually sell or or trade the Bcash into Bitcoin, I treat that as a tax recognition event, and so I'm actually going to be taking quite a bit of you know uh, Bcash and turning it into dollars to pay taxes, but yeah. also to yeah. like purchase other things like real estate or or whatever it is, just so that I'm a little bit more diversified. Um, but I mean, everybody's playing a different way. But I'm also acquiring some BTC as a result of it too. So I mean, I kind of look at it like, man, this is a very interesting dividend type a whatever i mean i <laughs> i'm just surprised that bitcoin is as high it is, as high as it is d- despite all of this craziness that's go- going on around it well so there's another thing i think which is like kind of germane to a lot of the people that are in in this team speak is that everybody here like uh, a lot of people trade you know these so-called uh you know derivatives whether it be on bitmex or okex or whatever um and uh but everybody a lot of people here are basically naturally long crypto because they, they that's what they move around and use as collateral for their trading and so i always think it's i always thought it's very curious that when somebody says well i'm short i'm like well are you short or are you just flat you know is it really just you've hedged your collateral or are you are you actually sort of net short? And I, like I know, like uh, Flipper and I have talked about this many times over the wow years now. Um, that that's 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 basically it. it's like people. If, I think that if you in this space, you got to have you got to have your stash, move it around, do what you want, trade trade using as collateral. But um, it's it's really just a question of be long or be flat. I think it's uh, being short. Uh, that's 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 a that's a tough call. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, can... I mean, being short is like stepping in front of the freight train. Uh, but I mean, and everybody, I, I mean, I think I, maybe I just played a different way, but I figure that everybody has like their deep cold storage that they just never move, right? And then you just keep adding to that. And then you, you know, you have your medium cold storage and then you have your warm storage. And maybe that's what you trade around on the different exchanges or whatever. I, I think that's right. I think, I well, I, I, I know that they're. I can think of several people I can see on this list right now that that's their practice. I was going to say, I can count the times I've actually been short, like in fiat and short, 
probably on one hand. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, yeah, yeah so. I mean, I just never, I'd never do that. I mean, like, I'm never, I'm never short gold or Bitcoin, like, little net, right? Um, because I just, like, it's part of the foundation for the rest of the financial castle. Uh, having that gold and silver and Bitcoin, like, that's just the sovereign foundation that I build everything else on top of. Yeah, all of those times were during that, uh, that 2014 bear market sell-off. Never since then. Look, that was a hard uh, time. No, was, I mean, 2014, like... 2014 was a hard time. Hard time to be uh, to be long. There's no doubt about that. I mean, I was buying the bejesus out of all this stuff, and uh, you know, during that time frame, because I got businesses that are not crypto related that throw off cash, and so I just take all that free cash flow. I mean, I buy bitcoins every month, and 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 continue adding to the cold storage the deep cold storage so i mean maybe yeah. i'm just a little a little overly bullish on bitcoin but it's worked out well so far you know since i got into it back when it was very cheap yeah and there's people in here which have uh you know also the same they buy every month through the gbtc with their ira and whatever they don't even care what price they just keep buying every month Yeah, I mean, where 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 else do you put capital, right? Like, I mean, I don't want to put it in bonds. I don't want to put it in. Uh, I, I mean, I don't even really want to put it in real estate. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Bitcoin is just so easy to to deal with compared to all the other investments out there. What we saying, Quinn? I just wanted to touch on the issue that we have at hand here—the global uncertainty of North Korea. It looks like Bitcoin reacted to that, and I thought that was really interesting. We may be seeing Bitcoin really take hold of that safe haven asset class. Uh, we never really saw that correlation, but as soon as that started getting pressed, we saw a nice little rip up on Bitcoin along with gold. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder what could happen to uh, the Bcash price because, from, from what I understand, a lot of almost. So every a lot of the new money coming into be coming from South Korea, and so if Seoul were to get nuked, for example, like there goes that <laughs> whole market, right? <laughs> That's wishful thinking. <laughs> well, I mean, Bitcoin is much more widely distributed all across the globe in terms of getting usage and all that stuff. So you don't have like, I mean, we're in a crazy geopolitical. Situation. We're we're in a crazy geopolitical situation. Bitcoin just seems to be so much more widely distributed among so many different countries and areas that like you're not you're not limited just to one single country or market. All right, guys, I got to sign off. I got some kids I got to put to bed. Thanks, Dan. Guys, yeah. later. Yeah. Hey, Trace. yeah, same, same nice with me, Joe. Take care. Yeah, good good chatting with you. See you. We'll have dinner again sometime. See you guys. See you guys. Thank you. That was a good discussion. Yeah, that was a lot yeah. of fun. Trace the man. This morning was like the most bearish this channel has been, and then now I, that was the most bullish this channel. Jeff, we got to stop getting sexual with our guests. <laughs> Who was that? Well, uh, well, me. When did I do that? <laughs>
I think everyone did. Yeah. Remember who was, was that? Who was saying he was getting hard about the uh, stuff that Trace was saying? We're pushing up here on the quarterlies on OPEX and Finex and everywhere else. Yep, we broke some uh, consolidation on the small time frames. It broke up. Be sure to get a copy of the free Bitcoin guide at freebitcoinguide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at bitcoin.kn. Don't be shy. To help the show, share Bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise, spam the interwebs. Your iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate.